Hey, hey, everyone. Sorry, this is a day late. My uh, distribution service messed up. I thought that I had it in place to release at 9 a.m. on the 17th like I normally do, but for whatever reason, it didn't release. So I chose to release this on Monday the 18th at 9 a.m. I apologize for that. I will be checking in to make sure because... I don't like to release my episodes later than I say, which is that two-week schedule. So again, I apologize for that. In this episode of The Web3 Gamer, we talked to Chris Adcock, the founder and CEO of Max Level Studios. Chris is an entrepreneur and developer with 18 years of experience running his own company. As founder and CEO of Max Level Studios, he brought together a team of talented developers and artists from top studios to establish a Web3 native gaming studio. Chris regularly speaks on Web3 Gaming, on spaces and interviews, as well as at conferences, including NFT NYC. And specifically, what we discussed was Oldor, their flagship game. But just know, if you are a fan of Elden Ring and of the Souls series, like I'm a massive fan of, Chris is really shooting for the stars and going for a tall order, which I respect immensely and I think he's capable of with all the people at his studio He's trying to make the Elden Ring of Web3, which is amazing. I haven't seen anybody doing this yet. I haven't seen anybody who even thought to attempt it. You know, I've seen a lot of tall orders in gaming, but this is one that I think that community already feels that there's such a unique ecosystem that no one can replicate, which hasn't been true because we've seen great other people replicate Souls-like games. And I fully believe that with how much passion and love Chris has for gaming and his team that they can do it. I loved having Chris on the podcast. We got to discuss so many things related to our favorite games, uh, what it's like to run the studio, the people he's worked with, the things he's hoping to bring into the space and moving forward. And there's just a lot of great things that uh, Chris is doing and that I think he's going to continue to bring to the space. And he's also got a long-term vision. He's not trying to rush his game He's one of the good guys. He knows what he's doing in that sense. So be patient as things roll out. It's going to be great. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Chris is welcome back anytime on the podcast. We're in for a wild ride, and it's only going to be the best one. Once again, everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this. My name is Matthew, and I'm the Web3 Gamer. Tired of your castle smelling like a damp, dark dungeon? Bring the freshness of the mystical outdoors inside with Dragon Breeze Air Fresheners. Our air fresheners are specially designed with ancient dragon secrets to eliminate odorous spells and goblin stench. Choose from an array of enchanting scents like Enchanted Forest, Mystic Mountain, and our most popular, Dragon Fruit Delight. I use Dragon Breeze in my lair to keep it smelling fiery fresh. It's a real treasure, hot-worthy indeed. Perfect for castles, wizard towers, and even humble cottages. Just a few sprays and you'll feel like you're breathing in the rarefied air of a dragon's paradise. And for a limited time, summon a free sample with your next potion purchase at Merlin's Market. Dragon Breeze Air Fresheners. Smell the magic. Hello, hello, friends and gamers. I'm Matthew Simone. I'm the Web3 Gamer, and I am here with Chris from Max Level Studios. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. 
you know, where I'm in the southeast, I'm based around Atlanta. Where are you based? Are you US based or I am. I'm very close to you. I'm in Mississippi. Oh, small world. So yeah. in in my uh in my real job, I actually work a lot in Mississippi, but I'm not allowed to talk about any of it outside of that. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> but I like Mississippi. Big fan of Jackson. Um, big fan of Natchez, some of the more coastal uh or river. I guess they're riverside towns, aren't they? But yeah. they're beautiful. Gosh. <laughs> a lot of good food out there too. A lot of people, a lot of people, Mississippi flies under their radar, and I'm like, you're missing out. There's a lot of good things there going on. <laughs> Yeah, we don't have any like really big draw. You know, um, I, I always tell people like I'm three hours from anything really interesting. You know, like if I go three <laughs> hours north, I'm like, you know, Memphis, Nashville. If I go three hours, you know, uh, southwest, I'm like New Orleans, you know, three hours to the east. I'm in Florida. So, you know, of course, we do have the the coast where we've got uh, casinos and, you know, there's some touristy stuff down there. Yeah. I mean, Gulfport's I like Gulfport. Wait, yeah. is Gulfport on the coast? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. you know, it's it makes sense with the Biloxi, name, but I second Gulfport, guess myself. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Biloxi Gulf. Yeah, I like Biloxi a lot. Haven't been there. Um, been there for a few conferences, and I thought it was really pretty. Yeah. Well, so you are the CEO. You have your own game studio, Max Level Studios. Honestly, you know, let's just start at like where are you from? What's your background? How'd you how'd you get from where you were at in that to where you're currently at, which is essentially developing a Web3 uh, AAA game? Yeah, so it, it really came full circle. So early in my my career, I started um, working at a game studio, uh, Mythic Entertainment. We worked on um, a number of their t uh, titles back then. They were MUD, so multi-user dungeons for, for anybody that's uh, old enough to remember. And that's before the term MMORPG really existed. Um, and we started transitioning one of those uh, early MUDs to be an MMO, and it turned into uh, Dark Age of Camelot. Um, the company got bought by EA. I kind of went a different direction with my career, um, kind of was avoiding the, the whole like corporate culture in, in gaming that um, really took hold, you know, in that era. Um, but I started my own um, uh, business consulting company. So I uh, helped uh, businesses with anything from development to digital marketing. And that's kind of where I found my sweet spot um, going in and, and helping businesses find like, you know, where they can be more efficient, where they can uh, better monetize their their uh, customers and, um, and, and be able to attract them uh, cheaper. And so um, fast forward 18 years to Web3, um, I had been in blockchain for years, kind of more of as a hobby, not professionally. I did some blockchain development, did, did a few consulting gigs where I helped um, with, you know, uh, security for some Web3 companies. But uh, a friend of mine started a Web3 startup doing generative art, and he asked me to help him with marketing and communications. And I came on and we did, um, we did an NFT launch that I had 21 million in revenue. Uh, just phenomenal. Of course, this was like a peak bull market. So I won't take all the credit for that. But um, <laughs> it, it got me into what was happening in the space. And I started getting into these, you know, PFP communities, minting tons and tons of NFTs. I have hundreds on multiple blockchains now. Um, and, and it really, it, it kind of, it showed me this, um, this community first uh, building around assets and around things that were, you know, on this transparent blockchain. And I was really excited by that because, you know, coming from this, like using blockchain as a hobby, and I, I wrote an article on on Bitcoin back in like, you know, 2000 and um, like 2011 or something. It was like way early on. 
Um, and so like, I've been kind of following it for a while, but you know, we were still waiting for that like use case of blockchain, you know, other than just the financial use case. And when I saw the art, I thought, you know, this is really interesting. Like digital art didn't really have a value before blockchain. And we're kind of testing that. Can it have value now with NFTs? But gaming, digital assets already have value. Like we spend billions of dollars a year on these digital assets, but we don't have the transparency. We don't have like provable scarcity. We don't have that enhanced ownership that we can, you know, like if I want to give you my digital assets, like in most cases, there's just no way to do that. And so um, th this was something where I saw a really rare opportunity, um, something that could be, um, you know, transformative for gaming and, and, a, and a real like, you know, revolutionary opportunity to build new uh, gaming franchises, introduce new IP in a, you know, kind of um, position in gaming today where we're all playing the same games for the last 20 years. I mean, you know, everybody's the, the, the top titles are like, you know, World of Warcraft, Call of Duty, um, you know, Battlefield, like all these titles, you name it, go down the list. And, and they're games that, you know, have, have been out for a decade or more. We haven't really seen a lot of like new entrants into the space because there's such a kind of like stranglehold on on the um, you know the top franchises the the top uh, gaming corporations, and I, I just felt like this was such a unique opportunity, probably a generational one, and so I went you know headfirst, uh, full into it, created um, Max Level Studios, started contacting game dev friends that I've had for for years, uh, reaching out to you know artists. We pulled. Uh, artists and developers from, you know, Ubisoft, SCS, um, a number of other, you know, talented studios and uh, started building Old Or. So, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of full circle how we got here. No, but that's really cool. Um, I, you know, what's funny is I've, I've met so many people who before, obviously, blockchain and all that and all the NFT integration even happened with gaming. Um, just the idea of like, if it, even if it was just in like simple conversation of being like, man, it'd be really cool if all these things we own. I just think about back in the day when people would be like, you know, my first integration was like Diablo or RuneScape where somebody has like something really rare and you want it. And un unless you really trust someone to like, you drop the gold and they drop the item, they're just like, well, I'll sell you my account. Like, cause it's locked to my account or something. And that was my first iteration of like, oh, so like there's profitability or money to be made if you can really like grind and get the things people want. And then you could say accounts. And I remember having friends in like middle school who would do that from wow and um some for runescape of just being like yeah i just like i go home i do this like for like four or six hours a day get the things and then i just sell the account to someone and i don't worry about it and i'm like you know that was my first iteration way before twitch and all that happened. i was like oh you, so you can make money through video gaming like if you're not a developer or um if you're not a, a studio owner or any of those other things that i i've never been a, a coder or like a computer guy like i love video games but I, I always love like the um the lore, the story building, all that. And so like I remember trying to get into coding so hard as a kid and it just wouldn't stick for me. And I had friends who were like, it just clicked for them. And I was like, I guess I'm not gonna be like if it had been up to me in a different life, I'd be like, I'm gonna be a video game dev because that sounds awesome. But it just didn't work out that way. And it's fine it didn't work out that way. Um but I, I think the main point I'm trying to get to is that it's interesting to see people who have been in the industry for a long time who when this idea came along, it was just like oh, this is a no-brainer. Like, we've all wanted this for so long. It's great that it's actually feasible now. Yeah, and I think that there's it's largely untested. Like, we, we talk about the value add that Web3 brings to gaming, but when you talk to, you know, some in the in the Web2 gaming space, like, 
they still haven't been convinced that the the value to the customer makes sense for them to like give up that control and 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 to be more transparent you know um and so it, a lot of people use the example of like you know um like call of duty like we already have or um or like counter-strike like csgo like we already have a, a skin trading and so why do we need um you know uh nfts for this but um you know it's it's really like what we built in web3 I really think Web3 has this ethos with it, but but I also think that it's it's about this transparency and about this community first where um, the community can see these assets and build whole communities and, and you know, products around them. You know, like I think it's a lot bigger than, you know, just ownership. Like when I say ownership, I think even the definition of it, it, it kind of catches people because they say, well, you don't really own the assets because it's still the game studio's you know, art or, it, you know, if the game goes down, you know, that your NFT doesn't have value. And and yeah, I mean, that's true. But I mean, there's there's a lot more that NFTs unlock. Um, but I think that we're, we're still proving all that out. Like we have not really had great Web3 games come out yet and introduce themselves that are not like, you know, all about a token, um, which I think, you know, tokens are interesting. Um, they're definitely going to add value to gamers. But um there's a lot that that we still need to figure out what what works, what adds value to the the player, and then where can we align the incentives? Because this is like the holy grail. If we can better align the incentives of the studio and the gamer, then we create a better way to monetize gaming it, at a time where players hate microtransactions. You know, um, free to play was such a great thing for gaming because it, it lowered the barrier to entry. You could just download any game and try it out. But if if it's going to have all these like kind of predatory microtransactions, then it really is a big turnoff. So I feel like that Web3 has the potential to make a, a better um, monetization method for gaming that that just really aligns the incentives of, of all the parties. But um, we're, we're, we'll see if that uh, works out that way. Yeah, and you're totally right about how we have yet to see how a lot of these things will play out, especially with the NFTs. But I think you're also right in that we have gone one derivative further now, at least, that we're like, well, people are clearly interested in in owning these assets for their games, even, even at the potential risk of being like, well, sure, if the studio goes down or the game ceases to exist, I guess maybe it'll be valueless. For all we know, because we haven't really seen it happen, maybe there'll be a specific game where the value skyrockets because people are just like, oh, it's almost like a memento or a trophy piece. Like, I just want to own it because I remember playing that game so much. This is like a digital trophy or a digital um, painting for me. Something to that, to remember it by, you know, versus with a traditional studio. It's just like, if it's gone, you can be like, all I really have is memories. And if I streamed it or took screenshots, like, that's it. Like, we don't have it anymore. Um, I think about just with that happening on Twitch when a game will uh, take off on Twitch and people are all over it playing it and then the game dev is just like, yeah, I like never wanted this. I'm taking it down everywhere. And people are like, well, thank, I'm so glad I still have my copy so I can still play it. But then there's a whole screw of people who will be like, we'll never maybe know what that game was or have the experience to play it unless you, you know, it's uploaded somewhere and you're pirating it essentially at that point. Um, so, I mean, yeah. it definitely sounds like there's a lot to be fleshed out for sure and a lot to figure out, but I, I agree with you. Like, I think we're already a couple derivatives further and we'll see where it continues to go. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I did want to point out, like I, I've seen this as a gamer and a member of like gaming communities uh, several times where games have shut down for business reasons or what have you. And 
the community is so passionate about the game and the genre that that, that game created that they've remade the game like you know a, a totally like not necessarily pirated you know the, the original game but like they made a knockoff of that game and tried to revitalize the community and in some cases done so successfully um you know like um world of warcraft kind of had this you know like the reason world of warcraft classic exists today is because people were they were running un uh you know unofficial unlicensed world of warcraft servers with the classic version and it was so popular that they kind of were, were pressured into making it themselves and and you know they make money off of it but uh you know for the longest time it was just totally unofficial and so i think that nfts like if done right you can allow for a larger kind of ecosystem like i i, I love the term ugc because you know it's user generated content we're talking about um users building assets or putting you know more content in your game but i like the the this new kind of concept of um, ecosystem UGC or, or, you know, an ecosystem generated content where you allow players and third parties, even other companies to use your assets in these unique ways. You know, if you think about like uh, world of Warcraft, if someone were to build this totally other game or some website experience that is not using the world of Warcraft IP necessarily, but you can take your world of Warcraft character or you know a sword or whatever asset from that game and go log in with it at another website or experience and use it there in some way um then they're not only you know having this extra utility for it but they also enable like a, a kind of built-in community you know in a, a sub-community of world of warcraft now why would why would wow want this to, to happen um you know of course they're going to be protective of their ip they don't want something to uh, kind of tarnish that image but if it doesn't do that um, the reason that they would want to encourage this is because it it incentivizes players to transact. You know, it adds value to those items. So if they're making money off of royalties and transactions, it it adds to that value. And players are less likely to churn on the main game if they're playing some sub game. So like even if you're not logging into WoW every day, if you're checking in on this other experience that uses those same assets, you're more likely to stay in that larger ecosystem. And so, like, I'm kind of hoping that Web3 empowers this new kind of content that that gets bigger than the games themselves. Yeah, and I, I think we've already seen that with a lot of just communities where, um, you know, and, and it's a double-edged sword depending on how it goes, but I think it's mostly positive is the community largely driving, you know, as you know, in, in the past, it's like if you, if a company released a game and there was a lot of flack after it, it's like, Sorry, that's that's the game. There's no updating it. There's no pushing out. We can't fix anything. Um, it's just the way it is. And I guess it's a flop. And unfortunately, it, it suffered for our studio. Versus now, we've seen games where, like you know, just in traditional, like obviously, No Man's Sky had a, had a terrible launch, has made a full circle comeback. Now that people, if people who had come in at a later date, would probably never even know how terrible of a launch it had, and just see it as a really successful, fun to play game. And so it's interesting to see that these studios will take the community input to heart kind of like in that development process. Um, like they'll release like a beta and they'll be like, this is what we're working on. This is what we like. We really want to get a bunch of feedback. And it's really nice. Cause I think it's almost like uh, their own market research study in the sense of they get to collect all this data. They get to get a lot of feedback. They have live play testers. It's a whole uh, interesting community driven thing where, you know, as far as, I, as far as I've been a part of it, like not complaining, we don't get paid for it. We just do it because we want to play the game and want to have fun with it. 
Um, so it really lowers the cost for a lot of these indie studios to really help bolster this release so that when it does come out, they already know the audience is going to like it because if it's the continuing audience they've had testing the game, giving feedback, their community is like, yeah, we're ready. This is even better than the beta. We're really happy. And then it's like this really interesting continuing guiding compass for the game. Now, the caveat to that I've seen with some uh, games, unfortunately, is the studios rely a little too much on the community and don't take as much as their own development and ideas in place. So sometimes they listen too much to people. They guide it that way. And then people go, what are you doing? Why We don't want it like this. But, and they're like, wait, but you just said you want it this. And then it becomes this really hard hashing out of having to make executive decisions as a studio, understanding what's going to be best for the player while balancing out what the community truly wants versus what they're just saying they want. And you're like, that's not going to play well into practice, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. You have to have someone with a vision and, and they're, they're pushing the direction of that vision, but also have at least the perception that you're listening to the community. The community has to feel like that they're being heard. Um, even if you know you think that you know better in some cases, you have to have those channels for the community to, to voice their concerns, voice their feedback, and you have to be able to respond to that. Um, whether it be with changes that you know uh, make them happy and, and you know, a lot of times you're going to get valuable insights from the community. Obviously, you know, game devs don't know everything. So, um, you know, when you when you hear that feedback, sometimes, you know, you really take it to heart. Other times, you know, you think that it may be a short sighted or you have a bigger, bigger picture that, you know, uh, with that context, um, you know, it, it, their feedback will change over time. So, uh, yeah, I think I definitely see those two sides of it where you've got this kind of like corporate mentality where it seems like they're just completely out of touch with the community. And then you have the opposite where they're um, overly pivoting and not giving, you know, their vision a chance or not, you know, sticking to a kind of core focus for the game. So uh, I think there's definitely a sweet spot in there where, you know, you've got somebody with a clear direction and you're presenting that, but you also, you know, give outlets to the community to be able to, you know, voice feedback and you're, you're taking that to heart. Yeah. And speaking of community, your community seems very excited with the trailer you all just dropped for Old Door. So honestly, do you want to give us like a high level overview of, you know, if there's any lore behind your game? What is that? How are you how are you envisioning people are going to play this game and interact with it? Um, whatever and any details you can share right now, I would love to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll tell you, like the vision for Oldor is a Souls-like MMORPG. Uh, so, you know, fully open world, uh, realm-based combat. So we have a, a PvP zone where um, our, our uh, three factions will fight over territory. Uh, they'll be able to build up fortifications, uh, craft siege weapons, and go and attack enemy fortifications to fight over this um, PvP territory where controlling areas will unlock certain uh, content like dungeons, shops, things like that. And then we have uh, classic kind of like PvP arenas. So um, the, you know, like uh, battlegrounds or uh, other kind of like MMO PvP that you've experienced. Um, and obviously like an MMO is extremely ambitious. Uh, both, you know, expensive, time-consuming. Uh, we are utilizing procedural generation, AI, and a number of other, you know, really innovative things to be able to pull this off at scale. But we also kind of flip the model upside down. We think that the MMO genre is something we're all passionate about as developers uh, and gamers ourselves. But um, we think that flipping the, the genre upside down um, makes a lot of sense for developing a game uh, to be able to deliver actual playable modes faster. And once it's fully released, uh, we basically have a better onboarding funnel. Uh, 
the problem with like MMOs today is many people who played early MMOs don't play today because they don't feel like they have the time to invest. You know, you you love RuneScape, but, you know, you see this cool new MMO drop and, you know, it's like, wow, I would love to spend all day exploring the world and, you know, getting to know my character and all that, but I just don't have the time. Um, and and then the whole onboarding process is like you start at level one and you have, you know, you kill boars or deer or like some really kind of plain enemy. And you do this for hours and hours and, and eventually level up to get to like the fun replayable parts or to catch up to where your friends are. Um, and that's just a bad experience today. Like, you know, back when there were two or three MMOs to choose from, that made sense. And we didn't have MOBAs where you could just jump into and have these replayable PVP, you know, kind of casual or competitive matches right away. So we think the better MMO is one where you can jump into PVP from day one. Um, so the PVP is not gated by the leveling experience. Um, it has an easy path to get to the realm versus realm PVP. So you get immersed in the faction, into the open world, you start to learn more of the lore um, and, and, you know, really become more part of your, your faction or your team. Uh, and then you want to delve more. And so you uh, explore the larger open world and, and can do that at your own pace. And it, instead of it be something like that you have to get through to get to the end game where you're, you know, playing the same content over and over again, it's more the reward. So it's, we kind of, we think that the large open world of an MMO should feel like Skyrim or should feel like Elden Ring, where it is worth exploring and taking your time and going and looking for every detail um, that you want to and not feel like that you, it's a, it's something you have to rush through to kind of catch up to all the good content. Uh, and so that's why we kind of like flip the whole model upside down, but we think that it also allows us to develop faster. You know, we, we can roll out our, our PVP arena um, and, and we hope to have that released in Q1 of uh, 2024. Um, and this will be a, a, a mode where players can jump into tournaments. They can um, um, compete in, you know, ranked matches or just play in these unranked matches or skirmishes. Um, and then we roll out our, our faction combat after that. So it's like the open world, but it's just a um, it's just the PVP portion. Uh, and then we continue to expand upon that with a full commercial release of the MMO where we add you know, crafting, um, the full exploration, quest, uh, more dungeons and, and all of the other uh, content. So that's kind of the path. Uh, where we are today is we've released an MVP, which is um, Old Or Dread Arena. So it's a single player wave based mode. Uh, it gives players kind of a taste of the, the gameplay, you know, the souls like mechanics, um, you know, the, everything from the camera movement to combat, you know, it kind of gives you like a taste of like what we're building because we think that it's unique to Web3. There's not really a lot of games building anything like what we're building. Um, and so we wanted to get that out there. And what we just released yesterday was a teaser trailer for our next update. Um, and it, we've completely remastered the, the whole experience of the Dread Arena, but just to kind of like set the, um, the lore and what this mode actually lets you explore. So the main villain of our story is the Dread King. Um, and, you know, I won't spoil his whole backstory, but um, the Dread King uh, has a dark um, uh, underground dungeon um, where he is training his horde of undead enemies to basically attack the world of Oldor. And he has captured these, um, these elite warriors and is forcing them to continuously fight his army to train them uh, for battle. And so 
that's what you're doing as a player is you are fighting his undead minions. It's kind of a roguelike mini game. Um, and we have built in tournaments to it. So um, players can compete for prizes, get on leaderboards. Uh, we've, we've added, you know, we haven't added our, our progression system yet. That's all really coming with our PVP mode, but we've been kind of adding some of the elements there. So like we've given out some badges and we've added a few other little things um, that allow us to kind of test some of these things early as well as go ahead and get some community feedback. So yeah, that's where we are today. Really excited about it. Um, the um, the game that we have out is available on three Web3 launchers. It's on uh, Hyperplay, Elixir, and Sedona. But uh, we don't have an ETA on the uh, the next update yet. But um, we're working to get that out hopefully in December. But but we'll see. We'll uh, we'll announce that soon. Sure. I mean, you know as well as I, Gabe, uh, game development can always change depending on circumstance. And just ha- some things progress faster than you expect, and some things you hit bottlenecks where you least expected them, versus you hit bottlenecks you expect them, and they ended up being a bigger and, pain than you ever could have imagined. <laughs> and that's exactly why we structure development like we have, because you know mm-hmm. I've followed so many games where you know they they go they go to Kickstarter like Star Citizen or uh, you know Ashes of Creation, and they put like a one year time frame on building this MMO. But it ends up taking, you know, Star Citizens like 10 years now. And we're still waiting. <laughs> um, you know, Ashes of Creation, it's like five or seven years now. You know, I don't know. But, you know, the, these games, like they run into bottlenecks, like you said. They run into things. And then the engine has now updated and you've got to go rework everything. So yep. we kind of prioritized shipping gameplay fast. You know, let's yeah. get something out there and let's iterate off of that so that we don't have a community that's waiting to play something for, you know, half a decade or longer. Yeah, and realistically, like that's always an unfortunate circumstance. Is, um, if you if you say we hope but no promise, people are a lot more forgiving than you say it's definitely happening by the state when it doesn't. And then you know, one time sometimes people are a little forgiving, some people aren't. Once it's happened twice, people just go. Unfortunately, in this space, people are like rogue, rogue. They're like, if nothing's getting delivered on time, and you're like, no. If you could see the other, if we could get you in on the other things, you'd really see where the bottlenecks are. But I again, I'm really excited for this because. I'm a I'm a huge Souls fan. I mean, I've played like every single game in the series. Um, I I loved Elden Ring. I thought it was amazing. And I think you're right on the money with, I think Elden Ring, and I don't say this in a bad way, it was definitely the most friendly for new Souls players to get into for a variety of reasons. And I have no problem with that because obviously I want more people to play Souls games. But I think um, the main thing that was so appealing is having that open world and having things to do, not an empty open world and having different enemies that you can fight at different levels you don't even realize you're going around and you're exploring and you're fighting and you're trying things and all in that process of what you said earlier, instead of having to just keep fighting boars or um, like the level one skeletons, like you get to fight a variety of enemies, try a variety of things, see what's going on. And before you know it, you're actually at a legitimate, reasonable level to go handle some of the mini bosses, bosses. It just gives you so much opportunity. And if you can really grit through, I know a lot of things for people is they're not used to that high level of uh, not. I shouldn't say hell. Just that learning curve that every Souls game has. I mean, having played every single one, every single new one has a learning curve. I have to get into, and there's always humps along the way. I think when people get over the learning curve is when it's really fun. But I think a lot of people, like you said, don't have time, or they're like, "Look, I don't, I don't care. Like, I don't want to deal with the learning curve. I want to be able to just jump in, play for thirty minutes an hour, jump out. I don't have time to deal with all this." So I also get that's a bar for some people. But again, I, I feel like. We're seeing slowly some RPGs trying to come into the Web3 space, but I had yet to see anybody want to do it like this, like a big MMORPG, like fantasy-based, like Souls-like combat. 
And so, of course, like I was just once I learned all about it, I was like, well, I'm on. I, I'm in. I'm on board. Like, I, I'm really looking forward to it. And um, so I'm really glad that you all are doing this. I'm really glad you're you're aiming that way, because I know, too, like with Souls like gameplay, that's kind of so it, it's grown so much in the last years. But it's still for some people, I think developers and studios are like they look at it as like kind of a niche. It's funny, a niche gameplay even though you know as well as I, how many games now do they say Souls-like gameplay, Souls-like gameplay? It's it's all over the place. I almost feel like every other fantasy RPG now has Souls-like gameplay in it. Whether it truly does or doesn't, it's become a very prop, proprietary term to sell a game because they know how well that, that community and that fan base will buy those games. Yeah, and I feel like that it's kind of... I think that it's a mistake to discount games based on their genre, no matter what the genre is. And I think that a lot of game developers have learned this lesson, or at least, you know, they should have with Baldur's Gate 3. You know, that yeah. was an eye-opening game because it got so much attention. It got so, it grew its segment so much. And I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking, oh, well, this is just, you know, an under- um, you know, maybe it was an underserved niche, you know, like maybe we should have been, you know, making more games like this. But really, I think it's it's all about having a really quality game that had a lot of heart and passion going into it. Like if it doesn't matter what the genre is, like I feel like that gamers want to try great games that had a lot of heart, a lot of thought, preparation, and just quality and that was put into it. And it wasn't like some rehash, some, you know, incremental update. Like it was actually something new. Um, and so I think that, you know, whatever your passion is as, as a developer or as a gamer, like push for that because that, it, it could work, you know, um, and, and it really just it needs the, the the actual like support behind it to be able to prove if, it, if it'll work or not. Yeah, definitely. And so it, it sounds like you kind of took some inspiration from, you know, obviously Souls games, some some Elden Ring. Um, are there any other games that like maybe in traditional that, you know, whether it's you personally or anyone on your team since y'all have been playing games before web 3 is even a thing that maybe as inspiration you wanted to bring to this game or you're hoping to bring to this game from other like maybe some fan favorites you know of euros yeah so our devs like they were huge souls players so like you know um and of course like dragon's dogma that's a game that we talk about quite a bit with uh dragon's yeah. dogma 2 coming out um but uh you know all of the the souls games we we go back and like replay games to like remember how those uh different mechanics worked um, but I'll also say, like, for me personally, like, I'm a huge MMORPG junkie. And so, uh, of course, I played Dark Age of Camelot quite a bit from my from my background. But um, I spent many years in World of Warcraft, uh, really loved WoW Classic. Um, but, you know, played uh, Elder Scrolls, um, you know, RuneScape. I mean, I've played probably every MMORPG, most MMORPGs. So, uh, <laughs> and, and they've all had some of an impact. And I'll say even other genres, like... Uh, games like um like battlefield which kind of feels like an mmo sometimes with it's like you know large scale maps um a lot of different roles that that players can take in the in the in the games um but even like i draw inspiration from games like uh like call of duty you know you think about a, a map like um like nuketown you know that's so iconic today and you know when when that map came out like it's very doubtful that the developers were thinking this is going to be like one of our best maps we've ever made you know it's like this <laughs> yeah. tiny map that you throw you know more than you know 20 players on it it's just chaos and yeah. and then i remember playing like you know 64 player nuketown dedicated servers like over and over again and like that was just you know the 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 perfect play of that like perfect play style for that game 
Um, and so I feel like that there's there's things to learn and, and get um, inspiration from in almost any game. But when you see like how players use games, what they enjoy, the the, the way that change the pacing um, and, and how they find like really fun, replayable experiences, because that's what the, the the goal is. Right. Like single player games that have like a great story. That's great. But. I want to build something lasting and like, I want to, I want players to to go back and replay something over and over because of how enjoyable it was, or if it's multiplayer, you know, that they have the ability to create that infinitely replayable experience, you know, like um, the Skyrim is another game where I think about, you know, that game is, is so old now, but like players are still jumping into that today and playing the whole game through because of just, you can go find some new way to, to experience the game every time you play it through. So trying to incorporate those things in kind of an open world game into the multiplayer modes. Like how can we make experiences where players can go kind of find this, um, this same experience in our game? Well, it's hard to, as, as a gamer, you think of the games that you played, whether from childhood up until now that evoke a certain emotion in you. And it's hard to try and recapture that emotion because you're coming at it from a totally different angle as a player versus a developer creator. Um, I've always, I always thought that was like one of the, the saddest things I ever read from Miyazaki when he's like, I don't play any of my games. He's like, because I don't, I know everything. He's like, there's no, he's like, I'm so glad people get such joy out of it. He's like, I will never get to experience that joy that you all do because I know it. I design it from the bottom up. And I was like, I can't even imagine that because I've never been a developer on that side of things. But I think about that often now with any studios or people I talk to where I'm like, that's got to be such a difficult thing to, to try and capture that emotion, especially with cinematic scenes too, where you know exactly how it's going to play out. You know, if it's, if it's done really well, it may have the same effect on you. Like, you know, there are still uh, cinematic scenes in God of War uh, that are gonna that are gonna make me tear up because I'm like I know I know what's gonna happen, but it's a very emotional scene, you know. Um, and so it's just it, it's like I think it's a hard thing to capture. So I'm wondering, you know, that's got to be a very difficult thing to work on and capture on your end. And is that something that's kind of in the back of everybody's minds, or do you have to almost disconnect yourself from that and go, well, at the at my core, that's always what I'm trying to do. But there's a difference of bringing in the business side of things and the development side of things and really give this core deliverable experience that. You know, if somebody feels that way playing my game, end goal accomplished. If they don't, though, you know, I you can't think of yourself as making a mistake. It's almost maybe something you did in the development or the creation didn't just hit the mark in the way you wanted, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think for me, I'm I'm probably a different personality type because I'm I'm making the game like secretly, I'm making the game that I want to play. You know, like this is <laughs> I'm making like the game my dream game. And um yeah. And but I absolutely think that, you know, one person is not going to know, like, how to make a perfect game. And so um, that's why we get tons of feedback, tons of testing. Um, you know, like, I think all of our developers, like, they're all passionate gamers and we play together. We, we talk about games. We go challenge each other to go play other games and, and try to see, like, every time we think that we've made something really cool or something really fun, we we instantly humble ourselves and say, OK, let's go play you know, some game that we just drew inspiration from and let's see how it really compares. And that's where you start to realize that, all right, we need to, we need to work on this more, you know, like this is not where it needs to be. Um, and so that's part of the experience there, but I, I'm also the kind of person where like, I will watch, like, um, like you said, um, when you, when you watch a, a cinematic and, you know, you know, it's coming, but you still get that emotion from it. 
Like I'm a person that I'll go watch my favorite movie a hundred times and still enjoy it. You know, maybe not as much as the first or second time, but like I, I will still enjoy it. Absolutely. Um, and so yeah, I will probably be one of the top players of, uh, of old or, <laughs> I don't know if that'll be forever because I mean, obviously, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to run a business and, you know, we have a lot of ambitions, but, um, but yeah, I think I want this to be the best MMO in like ever made. And uh, I want others to find it hard to compare to us. Like that's, that's the goal. I know it's extremely ambitious, but uh, that's what we're going for. No, I, I, I'm all for dreaming big. I mean, even, and not saying this will happen to you just as someone personally, my experience with this of like, I would much rather in the experience I've had where I dreamed big and totally fell flat on my face, I would have rather have shot for it and had that happen than be like, I wonder what would happen if I tried that? I'll never know now. Like, you know, and just, I, I always say go for it, you know? And I think, uh, I think that's been a really nice thing in a lot of these um, indie or smaller studios and a lot of game development period is you're seeing a lot more people who are coming in who are less... Um, Unfortunately, as you said, with the corporatization, you're kind of forced. You may come in as a starry-eyed gamer, and you're like, I can't wait to talk about games and be working on games and playing games all day. And then it kind of gets boxed down into this, you know, way too business-like corporate thing. And they go, you get out, and you're like, the last thing I want to do is play games or talk about games. Like, that's all I do all day. Versus with a lot of the smaller studios, they're like, yeah, on our breaks, we're regularly playing games. Or we're challenging people to be like, oh, you don't like sandboxes? Well, you should try this one because it sounds like it's right up your alley in terms of like, this doesn't feel like a sandbox to you. You don't like RPGs? You might like this one. So I always think it's really interesting to see that's been a really nice development of um, it seems like more and more games have that gamer approach of almost like the, I don't want to call it the good old days, but the old days of people literally hanging around their PCs. I think about Nintendo a lot because I've read a lot of their stories where like the old president, Satoru Wada, just was like, I used to go to a computer shop from my house, develop games, and then I'd head it on a disc, give it to a friend. They'd play it and go, that was really fun, but you should have done this. Go redevelop it. We would trade each other back and forth. And it was just a hobby. We were just making games for each other to play. Nobody else was playing them. And then he's like, obviously looking, lo and behold, look where that ended up developing for me. Um, so I always like to see that that approach is coming back and, and it's, it feels like it's stronger than ever. And so I'm really happy to see that as a gamer who doesn't even develop or do any of that, just seeing that present in the games, because I'm always, um, I feel like I'm always coming from a mindset of like, everybody was in a, a tuft about GTA six taking forever. And now they're just now going to release the trailer. And I was like, you know what? We'll see. It's going to be a wild ride, but I'm not going to be upset if I'm really happy with that trailer that it took them over 10 years to make it. I'm fine with you taking the all the time you need to make the game. If it's going to be a great game that people are going to enjoy playing at the end of the day, I just I don't see the point in rushing or crunch time or any of that. So I'm glad to see that seems to be good. That that is not a thing as much. It obviously is in certain places, but people are trying to stray away from that as much as they can. Yeah, I think um, it was really interesting. So 2023 you know, looking at the stats, we had the highest amount of like um, high rated games than ever before. Um, it, it, you know, like probably five years ago, we were talking about, you know, every game seemed rushed. Um, they all needed to take more time. Um, and it, a lot of people kind of credit this to COVID, like where you had a lot of delayed releases. It gave game devs like more time to kind of cook and, and work on the games. So maybe that's the thing. And I don't know if we kind of have some return to normal or maybe we've learned something from this and we we see the great reactions that, um, you know, gamers have have given these studios and maybe we treat games more like they should be treated, you know, like uh, like, you know, box office uh, movies where we really spend the time and money to make a great experience. 
I, I will say, uh, going back to like the corporatization of gaming, you know, nothing against corporations and making money. Um, and of course, we want to build a corporation ourselves, but we, we definitely want to keep a more nimble team and we don't want to get so big that we lose that, that personal touch. Um, because I've, I've seen this a lot myself where uh, game developers, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an industry where you go into game development for passion. You know, you, you don't see people going into game development for money. You know, it's like you, you go into it because you're a gamer and you want to make cool stuff. But then what happens is when you go work for a corporation, a lot of times, you know, your voice isn't actually heard. Like you, you, you have some great idea. You have some, you know, novel uh, thing that you want to do with the game. But, you know, you're you're told to work on a specific thing, you know, and 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 game developers have to kind of like continuously make sacrifices of their passion until they become just a corporate developer. And that that in, in my my mind as a business guy, you know, like it, it's money, you know, like you're talking about more expensive development. You have to hire three to five developers to get what one passionate developer can give you. And so my job as a CEO is to go find people that are already passionate about what we're building and hire them because they're going to be way better, way more efficient employees than just hiring some people that are capable developers and then paying them to do what we want them to do because they're, they're going to need, you know, they don't know the, the genre we're building. They don't know the passion that we're putting into it. And so we have to have people over them that are checking all of that and enforcing all of that. And so I think that's why you see, some of these, like, you know, why you need 100 or, or 300 developers at a studio um, versus, like, sometimes you see an indie game come out that was made by, like, one guy or, like, five people. And it <laughs> yeah. just, it, it's incredible quality uh, because of all the, the passion and heart that went into it. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I mean, that was just, like, um, when I first learned, I mean, this is, obviously, this is a tried and classic true on, like, Undertale when I was just, like, it's just Toby Fox. And then he kind of had an assistant to help him with some of the, the backgrounds and stuff, but that's like 90% him or even a cult of the lamb where I think it's only three or four guys on that team. And I was just like, you know, it, it's, it's, I'm always happy to see that because I think it really inspires a lot of people who think that's not possible to see that it is possible and go, Oh, so how long, how did they do it? How did they take the time? And what's the, what's the Avenue and the approach? And a lot of times they're just like, I mean, it was, it was kind of the like, if it's going to fail, it's going to fail, but we'll never know till we try approach. And we were already doing it on our own for fun anyways. We figured why not give it a go? And it ends up going really well for a lot of people, I think. Um, obviously, too, we're in a time where, unfortunately, there's more games to play than ever. And there's more space to compete with for people's time and attention to really make your game stick out. And I think one of the only unfortunate things about this time is there's so many games that people will almost... Uh, it makes me think of like when iTunes really took off. Like There was a lot of people I would meet who if they weren't engaged with a song in the first like 15 seconds, they're like, nope, not for me. And they wouldn't even listen to the rest of the song. And I was like, but what if for you, that's that mark was the 30 second minute mark. And you were like, oh, well, this is my new favorite song. I'll listen on repeat for days. And I always think about that with gaming. And so I, on a personal note, I've always just made it a thing where if I try a game, even if my initial gut reaction is like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. I'm like, well, I, I owe it to the developers and the people to play it fully through and if I play it fully through and go, yeah, I still didn't really enjoy it. I'm go, well, I gave it a chance at least. And then maybe I'll just never play it again. But there have been plenty of games where I've had that exact thought the first maybe hour, two hour, three hours. And it's not till hour seven or eight that it kicks off. And I'm like, this is awesome. I'm so glad I held out for this. And so that's always a concern of mine with people is, you know, 
I know obviously not everyone thinks that way or is willing to put that time in. I know developers would love to have people have that mindset um, for their games. But so I'm wondering, like, is that something, a concern for y'all in your studio of um, that, that almost like if it's not engaging it the first, like I'm sure you run into this with like trailers, like trailers have to have a certain level of engagement of style. Otherwise you're concerned. People will look at it and go, eh, doesn't look that cool. Not for me, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that we could break down there. Um, one problem is building, like putting out things early, you know, like if you release an alpha or beta, um, and, and this is probably why the industry largely doesn't do this anymore because a lot of gamers have really, um, they're really unforgiving, you know, like they play a, they play a beta or an alpha and they'll just say, this isn't, you know, th this is so buggy, this isn't ready, you know, and then that's the last time they'll play the game. Um, yeah. but at the same time, like if you don't have those, then you release a game that is potentially not ready. You know, we saw a new world, you know, which, um, had really bad reaction early on. And it took them, I think, over a year before they released some, you know, DLC that was actually fixing a lot of the initial concerns and and had players coming back to it saying, this is actually much better. You know, this is this is fun. And and a lot of games have this kind of, you know, response. I mean, you, you mentioned a couple, you know. Um, so there's been several games that uh, have had initial bad reactions, but it's so hard to, once a player's kind of written off a game, to convince them to go back and give it another shot. And so that's something we think about a lot. I do think that enough people are building more in public and, and sharing things early to where we're going to start kind of conditioning gamers that this is, you know, this should be expected. You, you should consider anytime you play a game that that's a snapshot in that game's life cycle. And it's not necessarily representative of where the game's going to be in six months or a year, you know, especially if it's clearly still under development. Um, but we've had that issue with, um, you know, when we put out early teasers and early trailers, those things creep back around. You know, like when you see a, a video that you made a year ago and you're you were in really early development and then you see it like reviewed later on, you just cringe the whole time. You're like, oh, man, I wish we had deleted this or never put this out, you know. But it's like at the yeah. time it seemed amazing and everybody loved it. But, you mm -hmm. know, a year later, you've just come so far from there. And but I mean, people with they they go Google you, they look you, you look at you on YouTube. Like that's what they find. And so um, it, this is all something to keep in mind. Um, and it's something that is a is a debate among game developers today. You know, like how much, you know, like how public are we? Um, how do we kind of manage those expectations? And what is the like, how do we um, as we continue to advance and develop, how do we keep the focus on what we're doing today and take the focus off of what we did you know, before um, so that that gamers know that, like, you know, our game is it is better than it was yesterday. Yeah, and I honestly think Twitch has played, I never really hear anyone talk about this, but I think Twitch has actually played a really good part in that of people streaming games. Because there are people who will be like, this game's terrible. I'm going to stream me playing it so we can all laugh at it. And then like 10 minutes and be like, whoa, this is not terrible. This is actually really fun. And it changes the dichotomy. And even if there's only a few people in there, it spreads. Those people are like, when well, I want to go play it. And it's like really interesting to see the wildfire effect like take hold. And I always wonder how long it would have taken uh, the, you know, had that update been pushed out, things changed to naturally spread versus somebody putting it in front of an audience for them at no cost to them and doing it that way. So I think it's been an interesting tool in that sense when uh, when that happens. It doesn't always happen that way. Um, but I, I, I've been fascinated to see it occur that way because I never would have, when Twitch first existed, I never would have anticipated that would have been a way it would have been utilized or seeing it doing that. I would have thought it would have the opposite effect of, 
people would just see someone streaming that and go, I heard bad reviews. I'm just not going to watch it. I don't care. But it's funny that that's the opposite. Like people will go on Twitch to stream to play games that are bad in their opinion. And then the developers like, hey, I'm happy. Like people are buying my game on Steam. Everybody's playing it on Twitch. They're just like, maybe I didn't make the best game, but I still profited from it. So hopefully I'll make, maybe the next one will be better. Maybe I should make another bad game because clearly that's what's selling for me, you know, like. Yeah, I love content creators. Like, I mean, I, I think that even content creators that are kind of ragging on you, like, I think that it, it is great attention and um, and it's a great way to to get exposure for your game. And like, you know, when I'm as a gamer, like I'm too busy to download and, and play every game that I'm going to you know potentially purchase. So I will go look up just about every game and try to find a content creator, like actually playing the game. You know, what is their experience? Like, do I think that, you know, that's a game that I'm going to enjoy? And it helps when you, you know, when you have that credibility of, of a creator too, because I think we're, you know, like when you get behind the scenes and you start seeing like that, that a lot of creators are um, profiting from a lot of the games that they play, you know, it, it kind of breaks that, um, that image you have. But, you know, when you can get that credibility built up and you, you know that creators are playing games that they actually enjoy, like that's creators that you follow. You actually like go in and want to participate, you know, you want to purchase the games that they're playing. Um, so yeah, and, and we have great relationships with with a lot of Web three content creators because um, you know they are exposing people to um, to a whole new segment of games, and you know I, I think like they, they're they've been in such a tough spot because there haven't been a lot of playable games, but now we're starting to see more and more games come out that are actually fun, actually playable, and now they can start to kind of like find their niche. You know, it's like are they a RPG player? Are they a FPS player? You know. And so now um, they can start to build an audience based off of that because they're not just all generalist anymore. They're not all talking about like token prices and things. So um, that's something that, you know, I'm excited for, like the growth of Web3 content creation. Yeah. And I, I think the, a really big thing to see, like how far content creation has come is um, with games.gg. They had their voting for just just that whole section of just the content creators. I thought that was really fascinating because I wasn't expecting that. I was like, oh, yeah, they'll do the games and all that. And then going through, I was like, oh my gosh, all these content creators, like whether I've interacted with them or not, like I've seen them, I'm aware of them, like this is really good for them. I think this is a really good thing that I, they're one of the only people I've seen acknowledging it, I should say. And I thought that was really a really big step up considering in traditional gaming, like people have literal sponsorships and endorsement deals for all sorts of stuff just because all they do is game a particular game or genre of game. Yeah, and and it's, it's so interesting how when you compare like Web3 content creators to Web2 creators where you know, in Web2, you would expect like a massive Twitch following or massive, you know, YouTube subs. But on in Web3, you know, you could just be on Twitter, you know, and just have yeah. like massive Twitter spaces. Um, yeah. And and so it's just it's it's so interesting. But I wonder how that's going to evolve. Like, I mean, I do think that like, I, I encourage people to go on Twitch, go on YouTube, uh, go on Kick and like follow these creators that are out there streaming games, because that's that's going to help with discoverability. You know, like when gamers want to see like if star atlas is good or when they want to see like if um you know the shrapnel's good they're going to go look for gameplay video they're going to look for mm -hmm. you know uh, streamers that are playing it and so um they're not going to like tune into a twitter space and listen to all the tokenomics you know so that's something <laughs> that like that's where i'm looking for the future and uh those are the create i mean like i love all the creators that are writing guides about you know the, the um the tokenomics and you know when they're talking about um, games that are likely to succeed based off of their team and their their plans. Like I love all of that content as well, but I, I'm really uh, leaning into creators that are doing you know uh, video content as well.
Well, and I totally agree with you, man. I even think about just in like the, the traditional gaming sector. If I'm interested in a game and all I saw was a trailer, I was like, that trailer was all cinematic. That's my first thing. Is I'm like, well, I'm going to go find someone doing gameplay and see if watch a bit, jump around a bit in their video, like especially if it's like a 30 minute hour video and be like, does this look like something I'd be interested in? Or is it like, it's interesting, but it's not interesting enough for me to get engaged. You know, like um, th- I will say there are a few times where um, I don't see anything and I just hear about it. I will say the last game I did this with was Lies of P and all I had heard about it. So people were like, oh, it's like the Pinocchio Bloodborne. And I was like, sounds cool. And it was on Game Pass, went in to play it and then was immediately hooked. But I had never seen a trailer, watched gameplay before that. And usually I don't do that. I'm just like, well, I need to know if it's like, I don't want to say, is it going to be worth my time? I'm like, oh, I just need to know, like, am I going to be interested? Because otherwise I may just, you know, two, three hours in be like, I don't know, is this a good idea? And then if I, I want to stick with it, but if I have time, I will. But if I don't, I'm like, I got to I gotta go do other things, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Liza P, fantastic game. I, I, so I played the demo and bought the game, but I haven't actually sat down and played the whole thing through. But yeah, <laughs> everyone that I respect has loved Liza P. So I can't wait to play it all the way through when I get the time. Yeah, I think if as a Souls fan, I think you will love it. I was, um, I had heard it and I was skeptical. And um, the best way I can describe it is it combined a lot of amazing elements from Bloodborne and Sekiro together. And I thought it played really well. I thought the atmosphere was great. Voice acting was great. Uh, weapons, all that stuff. Like, I thought, I truly was just like, this is crazy. This is the first game I've ever played that if you had not told me anything, you're like, this is all in, you know, mysterious. Like, you think from software's developing this game? I was like, seems a little weird, but yeah, it plays just like one of their games. I was like, what if I told you they weren't? I'd be like, I don't believe you. Like... <laughs> So it's been really cool to see that I'm like somebody's finally almost like cracked the code in a way because it's interesting to see all the games that studio made beforehand like played nothing like this. So it was really weird. They almost did like a full 180 and I'm like, did y'all have this potential this whole time or just saving it? Or was it a, like, I don't know enough to be like, was it an internal thing? Like someone had this idea. It's just, it's fascinating to see. I'm very happy for them. I'm looking forward to uh, the Wizard of Oz sequel that will come eventually. Absolutely. Well, so then... You know, when you're, I think one of the bigger, maybe hardships of developing a fantasy game is, you know, there's a lot of inspiration to draw from. And sometimes what people go is they're like, oh, like you have werewolves or you have fairies. Like, so does every fantasy game. Like sometimes people like, sometimes people don't care about that. They're like, that's totally fine. Like I'm used to the fantasy blueprint. I'm happy to have it. And then add in your own twist. And then sometimes it's hard, you know, a lot of fantasy is you're just like, if it's not based in some sort of uh, mythology, some people are just making stuff up and you're like, does that sound cool? Or does it sound too far-fetched or silly? So I guess I'm wondering like anything from like either like naming and lore to like your armor sets, spells, uh, environments, creatures, enemies, like, is that something where you guys spend, you're like, man, this is like a whole brainstorming sesh for days, weeks, months, years, because we're trying to do right by not just copycatting, or rather not just taking from the blueprint, I should say, but also adding our own unique spin on things. Yeah, and so this is uh, another kind of um, open secret. Um, so Aldor is not something that we just like started in 2021 um, with the formation of the studio. It's actually a passion project of mine that I've been working on in some form or another for, for a while. Uh, I purchased Oldor.com back in 2011. So it goes back a little ways. Um, but yeah, I've been writing lore um, and, and you know game mechanics for quite a while um, and, and kind of crafting this, this story. Um, and I'll tell you like one principle that we have is we don't want to look like other MMOs. Um, and 
we think that like MMOs especially, it, they can start to look really repetitive and, and a, a lot of the gameplay looks very similar. Um, you have, you know, magic spells, fireballs, energy balls, you know, going across the screen and a lot of like visual effects. And it becomes very crowded on a big multiplayer uh, match or like, you know, if you're in a dungeon raid or something like that. Um, and so we wanted to kind of steer away from that. We wanted to get something that's more grounded. Um, so we tell people that Oldor is, you know, think more like um, like The Witcher or, or even like Game of Thrones, where it's a, it's a really gritty world. Um, the average person in the world, like an NPC, might not believe that magic even exists. It's not something that where every every player, every character is is utilizing magic. But we do have these, you know, typical like fantasy bosses. We're gonna have really epic fights. So there will be magic in the world, but it's it's really special. It's focused on like boss fights um, and and these you know really kind of um, you know unique kind of experiences. So it's not something where we want it to be part of, you know, every character's journey. We want the, the journey to be more about the characters themselves than the magic. So that, that's been a, a big part of crafting the, uh, the factions and making the story about, you know, characters that have these flaws. So like each faction is going to have, you know, things that members of that faction are extremely passionate about and excited about, but they're also there, there's going to be chapters in that faction's history that are probably not that great, you know, and there's going to be, um, you know, figures in that, in that faction that, you know, you're not as proud of uh, a lot of flawed characters, you know, but very relatable. So that's something that we wanted to, uh, to kind of prioritize is have a, a, a story that's going to tell really well. And that goes to not only making a great game, but, but really leans into the storytelling so that we can make, amazing cinematics so that we can have a story that kind of grows beyond the game itself. You know, we, we definitely have eyes on, you know, transmedia IP so that, you know, we can grow beyond just the, the game in a way that brings people into the world and want, you know, people that want to participate in the ecosystem. Um, so yeah, we haven't announced a lot there, but I mean, we have a lot, lot to say. No, yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, it's funny you mentioned uh, The Witcher. I'm going to laugh if in later developments you all develop your own card game similar to Gwent in-game, and it becomes very popular for a lot of people. I love TCGs. I, I Honestly, too. like we, we thought about making a TCG first, but yeah. the genre, it, I mean, I'm not going to say it's saturated. I mean, I, I feel like you can always make a great game. Um, mm -hmm. But it's something where we thought that what we're doing now is really unique. And yeah. that was where we're going to make our mark. Now, I, I'm not going to write anything off down the road, but yeah, that, <laughs> that was something we thought about. Sure. And it is, it is, you're right. It's not saturated. It's just, there's some big players in the web three TCG game right now. And it, it would be hard to compete with them for sure. Versus the RPG environment is very much in the RPG environment, I feel like everyone's in their respective space. Like you have your space RPGs, you have your um, Final Fantasy like RPGs, you have your eight bit, sixteen bit like RPGs. Like I haven't seen anybody try to do, um, I'll say like fantasy sci fi RPGs. I haven't seen anybody try to do this yet. So I, I don't blame you for deciding to go that route first. TCG maybe come later. We won't hold anything to you for it. <laughs> um. Well, so then, too, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Are what what chain are you all on or planning to be on? And are you 
Uh, are you chain agnostic, meaning, you know, if it works best for you in your community, you're fine to switch things later on? Or is there the particular chain you're on? Do you have a very strong feeling for it and you want to stick with it for the long haul? Yeah, so we're on Immutable X um, and we haven't minted our, our game assets yet. So that's all coming with our PvP release, uh, hopefully in Q1. Um, and, and I'll say, like, I know some projects that are going the route of, like, chain agnostic and they're they're partnering with every chain they can. And I think that that can be a great strategy to capture the existing like Web3 audience because, you know, you have communities that are really loyal to specific chains. And so getting those players on early, like it definitely makes a lot of sense. We're looking at it more long term and and we don't like I'll, I'll just tell you our thinking today is being multi-chain is going to add friction instead of reduce it. Um, just, you know, if you think about it from like you're onboarding mainstream gamers when they're in your game and you're, you know, they go to purchase assets, but some of those assets are on some other chain, you've now added a layer of friction to, to be able to get those assets into their wallet. So that's something that we didn't want to, um, to really worry about. Plus we think that chains, some of them are acting more like publishers and, you know, if they're going to help support us, like we want to be loyal and supportive of them and, and, you know, just kind of lean on them for some of the uh, discoverability, some of the, uh, like the tooling, um, and so we think that there could be a good relationship there, but I'll say like, as a, you know, developer and, and kind of an enthusiast of, of web three as a whole, like, I'm really curious where we go there. Um, some chains are leaning more into being like a publisher and some are kind of taking a more hands off and they say, you know, we, we don't really want to do, um, you know, marketing and, and all of that. And, and that's kind of up to the, the game and, you know, it, it, we don't have publishers in the space today. Like if you go to a traditional like web two publisher, they're pretty skeptical on blockchain and, you know, um, they don't necessarily want to get involved. And so that's kind of a need in the space is we need someone that's kind of handling um, discoverability that's doing, you know, more on the marketing side right now, we're kind of letting games figure that all out themselves, but that's not even how we do it in web two. So that's, um, definitely one of the challenges, but I am, I, I do like what uh, Mutable's doing. Um, you know, they're making a lot of big partnerships. I also like, uh, you know, Merit Circle or Beam. Um, I think they're, they're doing some things right, but there's, there's several in the space that are, um, that are doing some really interesting things around, you know, growing a gaming ecosystem. Well, and you're totally right in that it seems there are some, some communities that are all about a chain, like, uh, some are all about Solana or some are all about Ethereum. And then there, I, I find that there's a just as even divide of people who are like, I don't care what chain it's on. I just want to play a fun game. And I, I had an interesting um, guest a few podcasts ago make, make um, kind of was like what their opinion of how it was going to go. And they were like, look, I think eventually, and I always thought it was just an interesting take. They go, look, eventually I think that chains are just going to be that pop-up you see before every game like anything else. Like they're like, oh, the sound is by Dolby Atmos. It's by Bandai Namco. It's by Max Level Studios. It's just that kind of brief pop And it may just say like, run on the immutable X chain. And a lot of people will never think anything beyond that. They'll just go, okay, cool. Let's run on that chain. Like, I don't care. I want to get to the game and play it already. So it is interesting to see you're right. That divided, but um, you're one of the first I've seen that has thought that way of not wanting to, you know, cross the stream, so to speak, where it's going to cause friction, because obviously, as you know, there's a lot of these side chains. So like, you know, you could be on polygon and still do things with Ethereum, or you could technically, um, you know, you can bridge certain chains there versus with others, you may be just stuck with it. And so I can see how some people may pick Ethereum because they're like, well, it's bridgeable. It's going to be bridgeable in the future. 
people are going to keep developing out as the virtual computer that it is, smart contracts, all that jazz. So I can see things like that. But um, I, I think you guys have a much better approach of going, if it's going to potentially complicate things and make the onboarding to play more difficult, it's probably not going to work best for us in the long run. And I agree with you. I like everything Immutable X is doing. I would argue they're one of, if not the biggest people to partner with in Web3 right now. Um, so I think just having that, just being able to slap that logo on your game is huge press and publishing in and of itself right there. So, you know, maybe at the end of the day, it wouldn't matter what chain it's on just by having Immutable X by your side and helping you really push everything you need with your game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I don't know that we figured out like the the total solution here yet. You know, like we don't know where this is all going to end up, but um, I think that there there definitely is the argument that the the blockchain becomes less important and it just becomes part of your your tech stack. You know, that gamers don't really care about. Uh, but mm -hmm. there there is also the potential that it becomes more of an ecosystem, and it's you know it's because it's so easy to move from you know one immutable game to another because all of your assets are on this same kind of protocol. Um, and, and maybe there's a shared marketplace, you know, it, it could encourage the games to be more interoperable, um, to do like a lot of cross-pollination of communities. So I could definitely see these ecosystems kind of grow and evolve to something that is a discoverability platform to where Immutable becomes like this gaming hub. And then, you know, Arbitrum has their own gaming hub. And, and so I could see that, you know, pulling players, you could have content creators that just cover Immutable games, you know? So I don't know, yeah. I, I, think, I think that's definitely possible as well. Yeah, no, I think that definitely is too. And well then, so I, I guess too, like, you know, obviously there's always challenges, issues faced with one, founding your own company, two, founding your own studio, and three, developing your own game along the way. And I'm curious, um, any you're willing to share that you you didn't anticipate versus ones you did anticipate. So I think one, a lot of people anticipate first and foremost is usually funding and they have their ways and avenues to go about collecting their funding or um, being awarded in the web through space we have a lot of grants which is really nice a lot of the bigger companies really uh i i really like how there's like you can find endless pages of grants and you can really even if it's only a 10 20 30 40 thousand dollar grant that's no laughing amount of money if that's going to help you get up and running to get the people you need to get more grants to get things going to get vc funding however you choose to go about it and so um I, I, some people it's just getting employment for you it sounds like you had a lot of connections and people really to help bolster for you so i'm curious if anything was on the funding side, the development side, maybe it was just somewhere between with just simple business development collaborations, any challenges y'all faced and uh, anything you want to share for people who may be sharing these similar challenges you think would be beneficial for them to hear? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously funding is is the big challenge. And I think um, that just goes, that's, it's not just related to like Web3 Gaming. It's, it, I mean, that was um, certainly a heightened uh, version of it, but it, it's also just the macro economy. You know, like we went from one of the easiest times to, to raise money for a startup to one of the more challenging times in our lifetime. And so uh, that just goes back to like interest rates, inflation, and, and you know, you name it. Um, I would say that aside from that, um, because I do think that that's improving, I think that the market is getting a lot more excited. People are starting to see that Web3 Gaming has a lot of legs. And, um, and especially now that we've got some games coming out that are, are very likely to get some big attention and start earning some real revenue. Uh, I think that a lot of investors are going to want the next immutable, the next, you know, um, trap and all like they're going to want to own a piece of that. And so I think the funding could start getting more interesting soon. Um, but I also think um, one of the challenges that we've had is knowing that this space is so new and that so many startups 
um, are still kind of figuring out, you know, how they're going to exist, what problem they're going to solve, where, where they're going to make money. Um, we've, we've been, you know, we've, we've talked to a lot of potential partners for different things, wallet solutions, uh, discoverability, um, you know, um, everything from, you know, um, reputation systems, like so many really cool products. But in the back of your mind, you always have to think like, is this going to exist in a year or two years? Like if we partner with them and we we sink a lot of our development resources into them or like lean on them for something really critical, what happens if they go away? Because they're just a startup and they're not making money. You know, they're not charging us like in, in a lot of cases, like they're, you know, they, they've raised. And so they're pre, uh, pre-revenue and, and they're just, you know, trying to, to make a use case for themselves, you know, trying to get customers. And, um, and so that's something that you, you kind of have to navigate because you're a startup. You, you don't want to build everything in-house, but it's a lot easier to lean on like AWS for backend because you know that AWS is going to be there. But in Web3, since everything is new, there's so many products that you could you know, utilize, um, but all of those products are pretty much unproven, just like you are. And so that's kind of the challenge is you don't want to build this like, you know, a uh, Jenga set that's all going to like fall apart because, you know, one of the key pieces you built off of goes bankrupt in a year. Sure. So it's almost sounds like it's like having one foot in the tried and true stages in tech while, while definitely still having that other foot in all the experimental new tech and trying to find the healthy balance between the two. Yeah. And I'll also say too, not leaning into like where Web3 is today and keeping your eyes on like where Web3 will be, where you think it will be after you onboard, you know, mainstream gamers, because it's very easy. Like if you launch an NFT collection and it pops off or you launch a token and it pops off and you haven't released any game, you know, or any gameplay, it's very easy to just say, well, I should just do this. You know, let me just hype up my token and hype up my NFT because I'm making revenue. Investors love me. The public loves me. Don't make a game, you know. Uh, but is that sustainable long-term? Like, are you, is that your long-term customer? Like the people that are buying the NFTs for, for a quick flip or the people that are buying your token because they think price is going to go up, you know, are those the people that are going to support you in 10 years, you know? Uh, and so I, I just think it's keeping that in mind and like being cautious about like where your long-term customer is and making sure that you have a plan to transition to that. Um, that's something to think about as well. Yeah, and and I think that that was a big thing driving the NFT space for a while, unfortunately, was um, FOMO. A lot of people were just like, well, I don't want to miss out on the next BAYC. Look, I don't really care what you're promising or what you're saying it's going to do. If the potential for me to make a 10,000% of what I invested is there, like I will sell instantly happily. I don't, I don't care. And so I think that was a big problem too is um, people weren't really – invested in a project and people were getting like that fault that the the project creators are getting a false sense of hope is like wow there's people interested there's things going on so then they take the revenue start to develop something create it and then when it comes out they're like i sold ten thousand nfts and i have five players what's going on and you're like unfortunately nobody really ever cared from the start and like that money could have been better put somewhere else so i feel i found that like a little disheartening like more so i felt bad that there was a couple people that happened to you versus there were genuinely people who um just went in sold the nfts promised things and then just rugged everyone as we both know it's it's happened over and over again. I always look at it as, um, you know, whenever I try to talk about crypto or blockchain to anybody, I know it's probably like sounding like I'm coming from a cult because <laughs> um, it's just like, ah, you're crypto bro. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, it's really cool. It's really interesting. If you want to learn more, I'm happy to talk about it. But I'll be the first one to tell you 95% of it is probably a scam. And 5% of it is amazing and wonderful and totally revolutionary and great. But 
you got to wade through a lot of shit to find that 5%, man. So I, I always say that to people. I'm like, I would not be telling you, I'm not sitting here telling you, you should invest in things. You should make money doing it. I don't know if that's the best way to do it, but I will tell you that I've seen some very fascinating, interesting things happen in here that um, people do and don't want to talk about because they're so focused on either FOMO trying to make the money or just they just they write it off before they really learn anything about it, unfortunately. Yeah, I think there's a lot of wisdom there. Um, and while it's cliche at this point, I, I do see a lot of parallels between like the dot com era as far as like we have all these great ideas um, and even in some cases, great products. But it's going to take us a while to get the users and to get revenue to actually justify businesses that that last a long time. And, um, you know, we saw a lot of like early dot coms had great ideas. Um, they were great products, but they were just too early. They spent too much on on onboarding when, you know, the public wasn't ready yet. They didn't see the use cases or there was too much friction. Um, you know, you name it. Now, what makes this unique is the 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 push for like the crowdfunding like we. We give all of our money to some totally anonymous team that's not doxxed and just hope that they're going to build whatever they're promising. Um, and that just kind of makes us all look like DGENs, which, you know, in, in many cases we are. So, yeah, that that's the one unique thing. Back in the dot-com era, we weren't just like throwing our money at some like, you know, uh, PFP image and say, you know, hopefully you don't steal my money and hopefully you actually build a product. Well, I always love hearing the stories from the dot-com era people who were um they were like yeah i knew how to develop a website before anybody cared about having a website and they're like i maybe developed them from some friends personal businesses they're like i didn't have any big clients um one that always comes to mind is james altucher who where he's just like yeah then american express approached me and they're like we'll give you 250k to make a website from American express he's like holy crap he's like i've never had one i've never had this much money in my life he's like two it's it's not that crazy or difficult and he's like, yeah, I pretty much developed their website in like a few months. They were satisfied. He's like, I have no idea how much traffic I got. I have no idea how many people use it. He's like, I have no idea if it was ahead of the curve. But he was like, it was crazy to be in that time where I was doing something that was arguably probably not a needed or wanted skill. And he's like, lo and behold, it ended up working very well for me for the next few years for a lot of things. So I totally agree with like, um, just like, I wonder how many projects have either been ahead of the curve here or just are kind of in the middle of it where if they'd waited another year or two, the, the tech may have been more developed or fleshed out that they could figure it out. So I, I totally agree and see all the, um, a lot of the parallels with the dot-com era in that sense. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking specifically about, you know, questing platforms, um, reputation systems, like all these things, like they're, they're going to be massive. Like we need this ability for players to be able to have like on-chain data that they can selectively share with other studios because it's going to empower like imagine you, you, you've played Elden Ring, you've played Lies of P, somebody else builds a game and they say, okay, I want players that have, you know, achieved these levels in these games to have like this great experience, like this free onboarding, you know, like you're going to get some special characters, some upgrades, something to kind of incentivize you to come play the game. And like, there's no great way to do that in Web 2 today. Um, but we could totally do that with Web 3, but it's like, we don't have the players to justify that yet. We don't have all the data and all the capabilities yet, but it's like, you can see the potential and, I know a lot of people are working on that, but um, I do feel like if they're if they don't have a long enough runway, then you know some of them will go out of business before that really realizes and becomes a big deal. Yeah, completely. And and so that leads me to think about we'll rather talk about like you were talking about how you've pulled some people for your own team from a lot of these more traditional companies, and and we've even seen how, for better or worse, some of these traditional companies like um, like Sony or Ubisoft are trying to get their teeth sink into web three because it finally got enough traction they went well maybe there's something to it and you know 
obviously uh razor had their own web3 vc firm uh i don't i don't know if he's still with them but i remember when the cto of epic games went to work with yuga labs um there's there's a lot of this crisscross happening and i feel like i meet more people than not now like yourself who were like yeah my background obviously before any of this existed my background was in gaming and it just seemed like a a great transition for me like i had this is something we me or people i'd known wanted like we had no problem with it um like do you think that is a good thing that those traditional companies are getting more involved or do you ever worry that it might bring that corporatization or maybe some not because again they're not all bad as we've discussed they're not all terrible but some of those let's say lesser elements that those studios the practices do you ever worry that that will bleed into web3 especially if it takes off and starts to become more corporatized yeah, I'm very skeptical of some of the like big brands coming to the space. Um, we have we've not seen a lot of big brands like come over to Web three and do a an experience that leaves the their consumers feeling positive. You know, we've seen a lot of NFT drops from you know big companies. Not many of them are still well regarded today. Um, you know, they, it just seemed very extractive. It's like you know, how can we? Gets you know cash in on this, get some quick revenue. Um, I feel like gamers feel that way about game companies today, anyway, and so they they're very skeptical. I, I kind of share that skepticism. I I would love to believe that the Web three ethos of like community first, um, you know, aligning incentives, uh, not saying anything about like you know sharing revenue or anything, but just just aligning those incentives to where you know you are setting yourself up to reward your players long term with. You know, giving their assets more utility, more in-game value. Um, I think that that is a, a strong um, disruptive potential of, of Web3 in gaming. Whether or not companies are wanting to take that risk or even, you know, if, if that is their motivation, I don't know. We'll see. Um, I think that we're going to see a lot of experimentation in the, in the space. I, I personally believe that not just selfishly, but I mean, I I personally believe that we're going to see a Web3 native studio really prove the model here. Um, and whether it's like Alluvium, whether it's, you know, one of the, the bigger ones that has a really big head start, whether it's some small one that's in, on nobody's radar yet, you know, we'll see. But um, I don't think that we're going to see like, um, you know, Blizzard or, um, uh, you know, Ubisoft, you know, come in here and give us one of their, you know, lower IP titles and just, dominate web three I, I i'm just skeptical of that yeah no i agree with you in that sentiment i think realistically the more surprising thing would be if they came in and, and delivered a really great web three yeah. title because i think a lot of people would just be like i didn't see it coming um but i also think about how we may be a little biased in that sense of we already have a taste in our mouth for those companies and how they operate and so i'm always curious if they came in and it did deliver really well um would it almost be like you know I, I would admit, I'd be like, I was totally wrong. I never saw it coming and I can't believe it happened here. But I know there would be a lot of people who would still be like, you know, there's always people in every space um, of anything, gaming, music, movies, who even when something's doing really well, if they were the one being like, it's never going to take off, they'll still grumble and be like, nah, it's not what it is. So it would be funny if that happened to see those players in there um, still trying to be, everyone's like, this is great. I can't believe it worked. And they're like, nah, it's, it's never going to take off. You're like, well, the numbers would differ. So. Well, and I think there's enough people in the space that really want the space itself to survive and to thrive. And, and there's enough people that are, you know, even non-gamers that don't have, you know, they don't care about, you know, uh, Activision. They don't care about Ubisoft. You know, they, they, they care mm -hmm. about 
you know, whatever their blockchain is that they're invested in and, and that they're mm-hmm. a member of the community. So, yeah, they would be thrilled if uh, if anybody came in and just succeeded. I mean, we look at like Nike and some other brands that have done well in the space and, and those get really applauded. Um, but then there's a lot of other attempts where, you know, we rightly kind of trash on them for just coming in, taking some money and then just disappearing. Yeah. And it's funny because uh, even with some of those brands, like the way they come in and do their NFT drop hasn't, it's like the model hasn't been different for another company who didn't completely failed, but for some reason theirs takes off really successfully. And so that's always something I'm still trying to wrap my head around is perceived perception of a company. Like I think about EA. Um, I think everybody who's a gamer is like the king of microtransactions, even though you could argue Activision is pretty high up there too. Um, or, or Blizzard, obviously. But I, what's funny is even if they do redeeming things, like I don't know if you've played or enjoyed, I don't know how big of a Star Wars fan you are, if you played or enjoyed any of, um, any of the new, you know, the single-player Jedi games they did, um, I thought that was a return similar back to Roots for EA. But I don't hear a lot of people saying that. They're still just kind of grumbling like, eh, EA. And I'm like, yeah, the, the, they have a lot to make up for, sure. Um, but I was like, I think it's, I think what's interesting more so with some people in the gaming sector is, um, you know, giving a little where it's, where giving is due versus holding someone accountable going, you know, you really shafted us for a long time. This doesn't make up for that, but good job on this. You know, like this is, this is what we always wanted. I'm glad you're finally back to roots and delivering. If this keeps going on, like my perception of you will totally change, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm I'm willing to change my mind at any time. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I give them that chance to redeem themselves. And I am by no means, I would say of EA, I'm like a GameCube classic EA fan. Like anything after that is really, <laughs> it's nothing for me. So, um, well then another, um, another thing that I've seen is so like, you know, do you feel there's any best practices from traditional gaming that you're essential to like integrate web three gaming into the world or do you feel like they're kind of such two separate things it, it it's not really like you need to do practices from that sector versus this sector they kind of already are one because it's still like game development creation at the end of the day well i feel like that we almost have to hold ourselves to a higher standard in web three uh, especially because we're pioneers um web two gamers you know the narrative being anti-nft anti-web three um i think that you, you really have to over deliver, you know, you're not going to bring people over because you have a slightly worse version of call of duty, you know, like you've got to have a better version and, and it can't just be like equal, like call of duty plus blockchain. Like it's got to be better. You know, it's got to be a compelling gameplay, solid experience, you know, bug free, like as best as you can make the game. And that's really a lot of pressure, but I feel like that that's the kind of pressure that we're currently under. Now, it's not always going to be the case. Like, um, you know, we, we just had news like this week of Immutable having their PvP out. Um, it could totally flop. Most games do. But they are one of the first to get something out there that that they're going to put, you know, big money behind a mainstream marketing campaign. Once we see them, once we see, you know, um, uh, Shrapnel, once we see other like really good high budget games present like quality gameplay, they're going to shift the narrative. And then I think it's going to kind of lighten the load a bit for developers in Web3 Gaming to where, you know, you can see more indie games that are early, that that are openly talking about their Web3 games. Um, you can see more, you know, um, A and AA games. You know, it doesn't have to be just all like AAA games. 
Uh, and so I'd, I'd love to see that kind of take shape to where we kind of challenge the narrative that's out there. You know, Dr. Disrespect's game, uh, like as it gets more attention of Dead Drop, you know, I'd love to see like more gamers actually trying Web3 games and seeing that it's not the boogeyman, you know, like that that just because a game has NFTs doesn't make it bad. And in fact, like in, in those cases, they're going to start to realize that, wow, I'm actually getting a lot more than a traditional game gives me. You know, like I have this extra control over my assets. I've got this extra ownership, transparency. Um, and, you know, in some cases, there's going to be like, you know, tokens or something involved that they're they're really, um, if it's done in a thoughtful way and and not something that's, you know, extractive or bottable, um, then then I think that they're going to see the value and they're going to start looking for Web3 games. I, I tell people that, like, I think Web3 gaming is going to be kind of like a Battle Royale was, you know, like um, when you hear about Battle Royale on paper, it sounds like a terrible uh, game mode. It's like, all right, the first time I die, I'm just sitting out the rest of the match, you know, it's like, yeah. I can't get in and play again. But like, after you play it, and it's done well, you think, all right, I actually like this game most. I'm going to start looking for Battle Royale games, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think that Web3 is going to be like that. You know, it's like once you actually try one and it's done well, then you're going to start yeah. looking for Web3 games. Well, and I think, too, a really good, like, low-stakes approach for a lot of gamers that I'm seeing a lot more games do is they kind of do this hybrid approach where they're like, look, you can play the game. You don't have to have a wallet. You don't have to do any of the NFT stuff. It's still going to be play. But if you want to integrate all this stuff, it's just going to enhance the gameplay. Here's all the way it does. It's totally your choice. So that way you're appealing to, it's really nice to see. It's like you're appealing to both people. So maybe people would initially get in, be playing the game and learn about all that other stuff from whether in-game prompts or like, hey, if you want to learn more about this, click here. Or like other people they're playing with are like, why aren't you integrating NFTs, dude? Like I get all these weapons, like armor sets, like drops, like loot crates, like it's sick. Like, And so I think that's a really good approach because that way you're not having people who, like you said, that are like, I just don't want to play those types of games. They're like, well, you don't have to. It's still, this, the gameplay core experience is still going to be completely the same. But if you want to enhance the experience, here's a bunch of other things you can add. And there are people to walk you through. There's a community to walk you through. It's not like this massive barrier to get over. And I think the UI has become really, really pretty simplified now for a lot of people that, um, you know, I think about when I first set up crypto wallets, like I, if somebody hadn't walked me through it, I would not have known what I was doing. Whereas now I feel like they've made it so streamlined. It's like, I think about, I'm like, man, if I had, if it had been this streamlined when I set up, like I would have, it would have been so, I could have done it on my own. It wouldn't have been hard. So I think that's been a good um, lowering the threshold as well too. So I've been excited to see that. And I think that's a big thing going forward. I wasn't sure if we covered this earlier, I apologize. Is that a plan with your game where like you're, you're trying, I know it was going to be, I know it's going to be free to play, but that a thing where you're going to have it be like, same core gameplay, but if you want to enhance it, you can add the NFTs or whatever other blockchain or Web3 elements you choose to add. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we plan. And that I, I think that that is the logical way to onboard today. Um, I don't know if that's always going to be the case, but like, yeah, you absolutely don't want to like force players to connect with a wallet to, you know, like have an NFT to play, anything like that. So um, having that be a whole optional experience that just enhances the gameplay um, is, is the better path for now. I mean, I think that yeah. some games like they're they're they have on-chain mechanics, so they really mm -hmm. can't do that. They kind of have to lean into Web three. I think that's that's interesting too. But yeah, for us, uh, luckily, we're we're focused more on the gameplay itself and letting blockchain just be this kind of like extra experience. Yeah, and I like what you said earlier too about how you're like it doesn't need to just be AAA. Like you know, there can be single and double A games because I feel like that's a big focus in the space right now is not knocking it. I love seeing it. All the AAA games coming out, but I think it there are a lot of people who maybe are developing not a triple a game and go am i going to have the traction are people going to care 
even though we've seen in traditional gaming, non-AAA games do phenomenal a lot of the time. So I, I would always say the same thing of that. People should be willing to not have to develop a AAA game. There are plenty of amazing games you can develop. Just like some people don't like think about, they're like, well, side scrollers could never take off. And you're like, if side scrollers can't take off, why is Nintendo still making side scrollers in this day? You're like, why are some of the most popular sides? Why is Metroidvania a, a genre that people keep making if people don't like those things? So I'm always like, those are the games like I'm waiting to see more of in the space too, because I'm like, there's clearly a need and a desire. It's just waiting for a studio or someone who wants to take it on reasonably so. And I think it's, probably similar to you it's just finding people who they're like well, we've been playing these types of games love them it it made total logical sense that this was the route we were going to go in the first game we made for our studio you know yeah absolutely agree well then the last question i have for you is uh you know what advice would you give any younger folks starting their web3 journey or their web3 project uh i always think about it as you know if you're talking it can be as young as five years old and as old as a college student i know a lot of people out there um, really look to older people in the space, myself included, who just have experience to really learn a lot of things and figure out like, you know, where can I start? The only advice I ever give is I'm just like, just start, man, and you'll figure out the rest. But that probably doesn't work as well when you're talking about a game studio. So <laughs> curious to hear your advice. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it takes a lot of passion. You know, like I've talked to a lot of gamers who want to start game studios and many of them, you know, as they kind of learn what all it takes and they start talking to people, they, they back out. And I, I just try to tell people, like, if this is something you're really passionate about and I can't talk you out of it, then absolutely do it. You know, if you're going to be thinking about this for five years or 10 years, why not start today? Um, so, yeah, if I wouldn't tell everybody to do it because it's hard, you know, like building any company is hard, but especially like a game studio in a brand new segment. But I do think this is a general um, I mean, this is a, a generational opportunity to bring new IP to gaming. I personally feel like that um, Web3 game studios are going to have a, a big head start over, you know, the, um, the the new wave of gaming as players come over and, and experience Web3 games. I feel like that Web2 studios are going to be playing catch up in a way. Um, they're not. I mean, there's going to be a while before they actually risk their big IP on this new thing, um, not knowing that, you know, it's going to be as monetizable or if the regulatory issues aren't completely solved, you know, you name it they're going to be hesitant to bring over, you know, their top titles to Web3. At least that's my personal opinion. Uh, there's a lot of efforts to, to bring them over today. So we'll see. But um, but I think it's a good opportunity for people to to build new IP and to, to actually uh, build the games that they've been, you know, uh, so interested in. And I think that it's never been easier to build games in a way. Like even though games are becoming more expensive, um, the, the barriers to entry are lower. Uh, game engines like Unreal and Unity are easier to use and extremely powerful. You can do incredible quality games um, unlike, you know, ever before with a really small team. So um, that's one way to, to get started early. Um, and another thing is uh, you've got creator tools like, you know, everything from Roblox to now Fortnite, where you can build a new game mode and, and have something out there that people can play and experience and, and give you a taste of like, can you do this? And can you actually be a creator um, that could potentially change the world? I mean, uh, we look at some of the most iconic games like came out of these developer tools uh, that were mods of other games. Um, you know, so everything from like MOBAs, I mean, uh, came from mods. Uh, Counter-Strike was a mod of Half-Life. You know, there's been so many like games that now we think are just totally iconic that that started as just 
um, kind of UGC in some other game. But, uh, but yeah, I'd say like if, if that's your passion, go for it. Um, listen and learn as much as you can, you know, from talking to other founders, uh, listening to, to the great content like this um, to where you can, you know, absorb like what lessons people are learning because that's saving you time and money. You know, when they make a mistake or they learn something um, they're and they're sharing that with you, then you can go the other way and it, you've already got a head start. Yeah. Wise words. I, I, I appreciate that. I completely agree. Well, Chris, is there anything we missed in closing that you want to cover that I, I failed to ask you? No, I, I think it's been great. I really enjoyed it. I, I'll just say, like, I always try to give a plug to, like, content creators. So, like, I, I definitely want to just encourage people to follow content creators, either, you know, subscribe to podcasts, um, follow them on Twitter, go follow content creators on on Kick, Twitch, YouTube. So even if you're just like a, um, you know, if maybe you don't consume a lot of, like, Web3 gaming content, or maybe you're a, more of a, like, crypto investor and you're kind of interested in Web3 gaming, like go support these content creators. It's going to not only help them, which is going to help grow the the space and the, the industry as a whole, but it's also going to expose you to new games. So um, I just always like to give that plug. No, and I will close that with a statistic I read recently that said 91% of people consume content, whereas only 9% create content, which blew my mind because my opinion of seeing so many content creators is that was the exact opposite effect. So I always tell people to, if you're thinking about content creation, jump in, you know, do what's going to work for your schedule and, and just have fun with it. You know, you don't, if you're, if your end goal is to grow a following, you can study other people, learn from other people. But if you're just doing it, cause you like, you know, just like me, like I like talking to people like yourself. I love learning about this. I love sharing it with people and hoping they get something out of it. And so, uh, I always told myself the only way I'd stop doing this podcast, if it stopped being fun or I just can't get anybody on it anymore, you know? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But, but Chris, I, I appreciate your time so much. I will have everything linked for Oldor in my show notes. And uh, you're welcome back anytime. I know you said you do a, um, do you do weekly spaces on Twitter? I do a weekly space on Twitter. It's small. I don't do a lot of promotion for it. But yeah, I, I usually talk uh, everything Web3 gaming. I talk Web2 gaming, just, you know, like anything I see that, that catches my attention. And then we usually have up some some regulars that come and just talk about what's on their mind. Awesome. So I will definitely have Chris's Twitter account in the show notes so you can go follow him and find out and tune into his spaces because I think there's always a lot to be had from great people with great space on Twitter. But again, Chris, thank you so much for this. You're welcome back anytime. Looking forward to everything that develops with Oldor, everything that goes on with Max Level Studios. Wishing you nothing but the best, man. Thanks, Matthew. Well, friends, that's another episode down. If you enjoyed this podcast, we would really appreciate you rating it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you can rate and wherever you listen to and get your podcast. It would mean the world to us and help get this podcast to people who truly are involved in Web3 gaming, blockchain, and cryptocurrency and want to learn more and stay on top of these emerging technologies. If you have any queries, want to reach out about any collaborations or advertisements, as well as want to reach out with any improvements you think we could make on the podcast, please email us at theweb3gamer at proton.me. We would love to hear from you and take every response very seriously. Take care and keep gaming, my friends.